0: The brave new world of networking services is automated, elastic, and chained. That is to say, if you need to push traffic through a bunch of virtual middle boxes, you're going to automate the creation of those things. Eventually, the days of standing up hardware services and plumbing them oh so carefully will be gone because the world won't wait for you to get it done. Automation is your answer. And then when you need to grow those services, that is, create more of them to support additional volume, the services will grow dynamically. More instances stood up and torn down as needed depending on load. And, let's say you have a bunch of different network services an application must pass through. You'll set up traffic patterns in a service chain so that traffic flows through the virtual network services they need to without you having to rely on physical plumbing and clever routing. And all of this happens today in the worlds of OpenStack, containers, NFV, and microservices. In other words, this isn't the unicorn networking no one uses that some of you complain about when you write to us here at Packet Pushers. This is real stuff. I am Ethan Banks. Joining me is Greg Farrow. And to discuss microservice orchestration for networking is our sponsor today, Sonus Networks. Brian Hill joins us from Sonus. Brian,
1: welcome to Packet Butchers. And please introduce yourself to our gentle listeners. (laughs) Thank you, Ethan. Yes, this is uh, Brian Hill. Like you said, I'm a vice president of engineering, research and development at Sonus Networks. And we've been doing a lot of stuff uh, in this area, microservices and orchestration and automation. And I'm very pleased to have this time today to go over this with you. Okay, jumping right
0: into the conversation, then microservices is a central part of what we're going to be talking about today. And depending on who you talk to in the industry and the context, that term microservices means different things to different people. So, to help us level set this conversation,
1: how are we defining microservices? Okay, when I talk about microservices, I think about an element of functionality that's purposely focused in to be small. And there's a lot of advantages of that once you do that. But the key thing is to create services that customers will want to buy from communication service providers. So the idea is to create these elements, these microservices, chain them together into a service that is something a customer will buy. And kind of as you touched on in the introduction, to do that in more real time, do it dynamically, spinning up capacity and spinning down capacity, are all the very positive side effects of microservices.
0: And so how would this be Different from, let's say, I've got a virtual firewall and a virtual load balancer. Are they smaller than that, would you say? Or are those elements
1: that maybe you would consider a microservice? I would consider those services, well, interesting question. I haven't delved into the details of a firewall implementation, but certainly one could consider it a microservice and have it chained through, in the case of Sonus Networks, have it chained through to a unified communications type signaling and media processing microservices. So I would say yes, the definition of microservices are hard to quantify across the board, but certainly a firewall could be a microservice, as well as other devices in a a typical um, CPE-type device or communication service provider device.
0: Another question here to help us establish this context. Typically, you hear about microservices in terms of some sort of an orchestration system. That could be OpenStack, that could be Kubernetes, that is What is spinning up these services and tearing them down as needed? Is that also what we're getting at here, some sort of orchestration?
1: Absolutely. I think orchestration is a very important component of this. It really adds a high degree of value to microservices.
0: Okay. So let's jump into uh, maybe OpenStack is a good topic here. If I'm running an OpenStack cloud, what do I need to understand about that to grasp how I'm going to do microservices and service chaining?
1: I think everyone uh, on the the podcast here is very familiar with OpenStack, the whole notion of uh, software-based COTS type of uh, environment where compute and storage are all virtualized and available from an infrastructure. This is the Etsy architecture for OpenStack, which I believe is completely uh, accepted by, by everyone who's working in this space, the Etsy reference diagram for OpenStack.
0: Right, which saw some early revisions, but uh, yeah, it's
1: still one of the models that everybody is looking at. Right. So the idea of the, how to chain things together falls directly into that uh, Etsy ecosystem. And in particular, there's a notion of a virtual network function. So one can think of a virtual network function as a place where a microservice can be deployed in OpenStack. So once you have that microservice, the idea is that an orchestration layer, which if you look at it top-down, the orchestration layer will fall at the top. The orchestration layer will take some inputs from a user or some policy, and then it will know to chain together certain microservices to deliver a service. This could be on demand from a you know a, a customer uh, uh, logging into a web portal and wanting to create a service. This could be due to uh, networking capacity at a time of day or or Mother's Day, you know, when the capacity leaps high policy in the orchestration layer could lead to the creation of additional microservices.
2: I think it's worth just highlighting something here, is that the OpenStack model for service providers is somewhat different to that of enterprises. So if you're listening and you're thinking of this from an enterprise point of view, you need to take out your blue colored goggles and start (laughs) thinking about it slightly different. So when we talk about OpenStack and service chaining and Etsy and service providers, What we're referring to here is the teleco point of presence, which is at the edge of the telco network, where today they have little sheds full of boxes that do telco stuff, authentication, accounting, logging, 3G, 4G, 5G, DSL, DSLAMs, that type of stuff. And what we're talking about with OpenStack in those environments is using the virtual machines that OpenStack can orchestrate to bring software instances in to replace that stuff. The idea is, is to get away from this. Every time I want to upgrade, I have to send somebody out in a truck to replace the proxy or the you know, the radius control or the diameter control, that sort of stuff. That's the model that we're talking about here, isn't it?
1: Absolutely correct. And I always have blue-colored goggles. I'm always wearing those. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for clarifying that for the
2: audience. I think it's important to, to sort of highlight that, right? Because in the enterprise, it's about running Microsoft server or Linux server or whatever. In the telco exchange, what you are actually talking about is running virtual machines that you buy from other companies, and those virtual machines will actually contain network functions, which is and this is sometimes called network functions virtualization. And the challenge that you now have, and just like you do in a normal pop, which is like a mini data center, but it often only has like fifty or hundred boxes in you know, it, you still got to get the traffic going every which way. That's the networking challenge that OpenStack. But in a carrier, you'll have ten thousand pops. So you've got 10,000 mini data centers. So now you have an orchestration problem. How do you build 10,000 data center networks that you can configure from the central point? And that's where the Etsy model comes from. What we do with the Etsy reference model is define an operational service something, OSS. I'm trying to remember what OSS stands for. Anyway, in it's called OSS, which is to do with operational software services, I think. How do you orchestrate all these things? How do you say, I need a new service in this pop? and then the OpenStack instance just configures a VM and deploys it. Whereas in the past, the OSS would print out a piece of paper, and it would be handed to Engineer Bob, complete yeah. the two inches of butt track and a white van, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes and pops in, and we need to find a better way. So what the telcos are trying to do, or the service providers are trying to do here, is come to, like, 1998. No, sorry, I'll be, it's a bit harsh. <laughs> 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 but, you know, like... Modernize so that they're starting to use virtualization to change their business models. You Sorry. know, you
1: touched on some interesting points. The traditional service provider was a hardware-based; it was proprietary, and it was built to a certain level of performance. And a lot of vendors would have the big box, the medium box, and the smaller box. And truck rolls would happen if you pass through that medium box and you want to go to large, for example. So that's absolutely what this microservices mm-hmm. and OpenStack are trying to fix,
2: or upgrading said box. And, and upgrading said
1: it. box, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
2: Man goes out with a 15 year old laptop and a serial cable. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not joking about the 15 year old laptop. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: asset's not depreciated yet.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, the, so in telcos, the OpenStack architecture is really, really critical to them to how they're going to build the future of those service provider networks, and that's where Sonus is bringing its value. Is to how do we build service chains. How do we, you know, this traffic is coming from this customer. It needs to run through an authentication, needs some traffic shaping. It needs some proxying. Maybe we can start to add value like malware scanning and stuff like that. So that's fundamentally just to frame this discussion for people who haven't thought about that.
1: Back to the the question about orchestrating solutions. Communication service providers would say, create a session management and security instance for a certain customer, let's say. And that customer might sign up for service and through a portal, an initial allocation of microservices is created. And in the, in the orchestration layer, it's called MANO, M-A-N-O, but in the orchestration layer, there'll be policies. And those policies will be there and monitored to know that if capacity of this service built up from microservices begins to reach a high watermark, at that point in time, the orchestration layer will say, ah, I know that I need to spin up to create an additional instance of a certain microservice. So now it becomes essentially a cluster of two. If capacity continues to increase more and more and more of these microservices may be chained together to create a solution. This is multiple microservices doing vertical scaling as I'm talking about it now. Not to be confused with chaining together multiple microservices that do different things to create a service, okay?
0: In other words, you could have a microservice that performs an authentication function, and you said hits a high watermark, meaning there's some sort of a threshold that it hits where that service is saturated and can't service any more requests. Fine. Go sideways. You scale it out. There's another instance of it now, so you've got additional capacity, and now that, in my example, authentication service can perform up to spec for the load represented. We're now back below the high watermark and we can continue. And as you said, it is
1: one service that's in a chain as opposed to talking about the chain in its entirety. Exactly. And you didn't roll a truck, right? You didn't do any of the other stuff with a 13-year-old laptop. You had a orchestration layer that knew that a certain microservice capacity needed to grow and that needed to shrink.
0: Okay, so we've been talking about OpenStack as the orchestrator. I think it would be helpful to have like an entire service, maybe maybe let's walk through it and then uh, plug in the different pieces here and how it works. There's a Sonus piece, there's an OpenStack piece, there's different microservices, there's an overall service. Could you give us an example of maybe a service that we would want to exist? Yes. And then uh, at a high level,
1: walk us through all the pieces? Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me talk about session border controller solutions. This is something that Sonus does very, very well. When one architects a session border solution You think about SIP signaling. I can open up the RFC and see that seven messages are required to create a SIP call. Seven SIP messages, you know, invite, so on and so forth. We encounter customers that might use as many as 20. There's a lot of practice in there. There's a lot of challenges and a bunch of SIP messages that require additional capacity. SIP signaling is something that needs to scale kind of independently when you're doing session border control. Likewise, media interface, the packet interface, this is another entity that really needs to scale independently based on usage. So we're talking about a media interface as a microservice, and we're talking about uh, a SIP signaling as a microservice? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And the third piece I want to put in the picture is transcoding. So HD audio to a different type of HD audio, for example, transcoding or transrating video, all these types of things are built into a microservice that may be much higher from a CPU requirement. So that would be bundled into an individual microservice. As I look at this, I guess I wanna wanna bring back the point of instead of a small, medium, and large solution that one can buy and requiring truck rolls to increase it, each of these microservices can scale as needed, but also as the networks are deployed, one can say, I need a certain amount of SIP signaling. And one doesn't plan ahead for two or three or four years to say, I wanna put this box in once. And I want to have capacity that I don't have to touch it for a number of years. The service can be created in the OpenStack on the COT servers and grow as the needs arise, not based on a four or five year capacity plan. If I can go into each one of these three a little more. So SIP signaling is a great one. It's the middle of the night. Very few calls are being used. The OpenStack VNF or the microservice is maybe four cores or 12 gigs of memory, relatively small. But as other parts of the world uh, you know, come online, the call volumes start to increase. Back to the policies. The policies can say, you know what? I know at 8 o'clock in the morning, local time, or at some other time, based on my worldwide footprint, my call volume is going to increase. It shows me that I know this. So the, the orchestration layer will create additional capacity in anticipation of a typical day in the office. So that's something that can be planned and implemented. That gets you away from a, a crush of calls coming in requiring many microservices to create more and more instances kind of at the same time.
0: Now, you said in anticipation of, was there a human element there? There's some
1: human that anticipated this and told the orchestration platform to do something? I would say no, not directly. There's a human analysis that was done that said, okay, eight o'clock, we're going to want to up our capacities. That uh, policy is put into an orchestrator. Aha. So every day, the orchestrator does it on its own. Okay. But when an event occurs or just because Mother's Day is the one everyone loves to talk about, right? When a high volume calling event occurs and the parameters are being monitored by that orchestration layer, it will say, ah, we're reaching a high watermark. Again, the high watermark will be something that's policy that's put into the orchestration and and the overall OpenStack uh, solution that is deployed. But the idea will be, ah, let's create more SIP signaling instances. Let's vertically scale to create more and more capacity. What's interesting here is, as we said earlier, it's saying that a microservice doesn't necessarily need to be one instance. It can be a cluster of instances, and that's this vertical scaling that allows it to grow and shrink. What's important to note, it's a cluster, and each member of that cluster of that microservice needs to have a common data store, so for example, in SIP signaling, traditionally, we all deploy SIP signaling with trunk groups, and trunk groups have call admission controls, some number of sessions, some amount of bandwidth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as a SIP signaling microservice is deployed, it must understand the whole microservice status, such that if you hit one of those cluster members, you know the CAC status for the entire microservice. So that's an important component that gets built into microservices, built into good vertically scaled microservices, especially the SIP signaling microservice that we have here at Sonus. CAC status, call admission control? Yes, that would call admission control is, is, a, is a notion in SIP signaling where a trunk group is rated for a certain number. So a trunk group is a way to organize uh, SIP sessions, SIP calls. And a communication device, so call emission control, would say, I'll allow 1,000 or I'll allow a certain amount of bandwidth to be utilized on my signaling channel such that I don't overrun it. The bigger point being that whether it's
0: CAC or some other element of the SIP parameters, everyone in the cluster needs to know exactly what those parameters are because it's a cluster of devices that are offering a service as a unified whole. These aren't individual
1: state-aware services, if you will. You're nailing it. That's exactly it. There's much more complex examples I could throw out there. For example, unreachable host. If you have a cluster of five signaling entities and there's a host that has become unreachable, every call that tries to go to that host should not forward the invite, right? We know that it's not reachable. We reply back on our signaling channel, but all the instances need to know that and not all the instances in that microservice cluster Need to be finding out when that host comes back online. Only one of them does, right? So one of them will periodically options ping or something to say, ah, the host is back online. All the other instances of that microservice are not busy doing that. Only one. And then once it becomes online, communication within the microservice lets everyone know it's there. That remote host is available. Next call that comes through, boom, it goes to the host, and 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 life is good. Yeah, you're nailing one of the important parts of vertical scaling and sharing the status among the cluster within the microservice.
0: So I've got these uh, this cluster of microservices that are, again, they're grouped together. Well, we had three of them here that you define, session border controller,
1: and refresh my memory on all three of them. Well, yeah, so the session border controller would have signaling, it would have media, and have transcoding. I could like to talk about the media one a little bit as well, because mm. it shows a different way that a microservice can be scaled. For example, in the media interface, so this is an OpenStack VNF, that has uh, the requirement to have lots of small packets. So lots of small audio packets, certainly large video packets as well, but typically a requirement of lots of small packets. In the world in which we live in, you can also get lots of small denial of service attack packets from malicious hosts just trying to kind of gum up the works, you know, trying to bring down that media interface. So when you're rolling a truck in the old days and you're bringing in hardware, you're bringing in a big fat one gig or multiple one gig type network interfaces, and you have silicon there to look at all the incoming traffic and only forward the ones that are expected and blacklist and remove the denial of service attack. So it does that for very small packets, 64 byte packets, for example. Now, when one goes to the microservices architecture, communication service provider they say, all right, I'm going to deploy a 1GIG interface, and I'm going to allocate the necessary CPU processing to handle 9,000 sessions. But also, I need to be prepared for a smaller number of sessions, but I need to be looking for denial-of-service packets, and I need to drop those so that when I can face the Internet, I can keep the wheat and get rid of the chaff, if you will. Mm-hmm. In addition, the other thing that can happen is if I'm a communication service provider, and you know what? I'm doing a lower-end box and my media interface is only you know 100 megabits, not a whole gig. I can allocate in that microservice fewer CPU cores from the common core pool of, of OpenStack to allow the number of small number of sessions on that small bit of uh, of network bandwidth and utilize less cores.
2: So what okay? you're saying here is that you can, in, in a microservices model, you can create more instances and share load amongst those instances in the event of things like DDoS attack or spikes in volume so i would
1: say for media interfaces it's a little different that's exactly Mm. where i was going to with sip signaling yes for the media interface uh, you need to protect your media so if you're facing the wide open internet uh, Mm. i think every service provider you'll talk to will say yep i want to do a whole gig's worth of denial of service i want to know that horsepower is there so i'm going to Mm. allocate that horsepower
2: well, see, I've, particularly with media transcoding gateways, right, where I'm holding a conference call and I've got 50 people on the call and I've got some people coming in off mobile phones, I've got some people coming in off 64K or 128K, or and I've got a transcode between different codecs to make the conference come together, right? Right. I mean, that, that's a massive problem in hardware because up until is. now we've used DSPs and if you've only got a, you know 96 DSPs, you've got 96 calls and uh, that's the right. size of your conference, but if you're doing transcoding in software, you can just instantiate a container with right. X number of resources and it can transcode X number. That just means you can scale to the limit of the CPUs and the memory in your POP.
1: Yeah, you're hitting, you're hitting the transcoding point, the third microservice in my example. One last point back on media, though. Some communication service providers will deploy a service over an MPLS network. So they might not be as concerned about denial of service because it's kind of inside their network they have the opportunity with the MPLS underlying it to say, "Ah, I'm not going to apply as many CPU cores because I'm not facing the wide open internet. I'm facing a a semi-trusted or a partially trusted MPLS infrastructure underneath. So that's just where you can tune your media interface CPUs based on your specific network bandwidth or your specific environment. But getting back to transcoding, you're hitting the nail on the head there. Mm. Transcoding microservice from Sonus is all built around the fact that It's a high CPU intensive endeavor. And the key here is with a transcoding microservice, you can deploy some number of transcoding sessions. And as you mentioned, you can add more and more in a vertical scale way Mm. to hit the load of the transcoding you have at a certain time of day.
2: But also you can change the software related to the transcode. So if you come up with a better algorithm or if you find a more efficient algorithm, you just replace the software instead of having to replace the DSPs, which used to be hard-coded.
1: Yes, or you come up with a new codec. So I'm going to deploy the EVS codec, for example. I can add a new microservice that supports EVS, mm -hmm. and that can be a policy on the signaling side to know that a certain codec can be serviced on a a particular member of the cluster that Mm -hmm. supports EVS. You can have a knowledge of which parts of the transcoding cluster do which audio transcodings. And the thing about the microservice as well in this architecture is underneath can be all software. As we're talking about, it can be elastic. You can introduce different types of audio transcoding. But you can also have uh, hardware under there. You can leverage existing DSP-based capabilities with this transcoding microservice layer kind of above it. It will interface to the microtranscoding services, the signaling, the packet media, and it will leverage equipment that's already in a customer network.
0: Okay. So how does that magic happen? Because you said when we talk about NFV and virtualized network functions, I'm thinking they're virtualized, not hardware. And doesn't that go against the microservices model and elastic growth and all that?
1: Well, you know, it's more of a customer or communication service provider leveraging the investment they already have in equipment. If you have equipment that does audio transcoding, as you transition from the proprietary hardware world to the all OpenStack world, you can leverage that investment until it's completely depreciated and then you choose to take it out of the network. I'm just pointing out how a transcoding microservice gives customers that level of flexibility. Mm, Okay. You know what else? GPUs, graphical processing units. This is a new piece of hardware that's in AWS, that's in many customer networks. GPUs are in clouds and one can leverage GPUs for media transcoding, audio or video. So that's yet another piece of hardware that one might find in their cloud or in their OpenStack solution that can be leveraged for transcoding. That lends itself to a good solution for transcoding.
0: So Brian, in the context of microservices, another thing that pops to my mind as I've studied these architectures is... Okay, I'm going to say the buzzword, DevOps. In other words, the the notion that my developers can be working on a particular small service and then bring that service to be basically on the fly without the involvement of an infrastructure engineer. So how does that play into your world as Sonus delivering microservices or or does it really?
1: Oh, it absolutely does. And and that's one of the big advantages here. A certain uh, team of engineers can focus on a, a narrow problem, identify the APIs, They can choose the technology. My example of audio transcoding, I had hardware in there, I had GPUs in there, and I had all software in there. But a properly designed microservice can abstract all that. In this example, you might choose, geez, you know, Java or, or other tools or C++, you name it, because it's the best language for the job. And once you've created that microservice, then it can be put into the ecosystem of microservices, right? And things that you can do now is, uh, back to the idea of the cluster and the microservices, you might have a bug fix, right? Believe it or not, software that has problems, right? You could add a, in any of those microservices I mentioned, a new instance that has the bug fix in there. And you can run it on one instance in the cluster, kind of a canary testing mode, where you see that it's running fine for a certain number of, of days. And at that point, we would spin up additional instances of the new microservice in the cluster, dry up traffic on the older instances such that they're uh, all running with the new bug fix. So that's a very DevOps-oriented way of creating a, an environment where you build a microservice the way you want.
0: In a downtimeless way. In other words, the notion is you, you, you stand up the new ones with the fix, run the testing. They seem to be good. Okay, let's start bleeding traffic down off the old and, and up on the new. And in theory, your user community doesn't know the difference except now that this, this bug
1: doesn't turn up so often. Exactly. Exactly. I you know when I think about agile or devops, you know, that's more a lot of times thought about is the uh the creation of uh, of a microservice through the software development process, but as we look in the deployment and the update of the network, these are part of the uh, very valuable parts of the uh the microservice architecture as it relates to devops. So okay, so wrap that into sonus for me. How are you guys
0: leveraging that capability?
1: This is hitting the nail on the head. This is exactly the way we're looking at this in terms of drying up and introducing fixed releases in a much more agile manner, in terms of introducing new codecs with the idea that I'll create an instance in a cluster, I'll have the new codec, I'll have policy that understands, go to that, that instance with the new codec. And you know what? It's running well. It's proving that it's uh, is better at voice quality, for example, and then we'll start to turn down the old in favor of the new. Likewise, as we introduce, if a customer has, TSPs in its network from, uh, it wants to leverage on an MRF, uh, Sonus Gear or not. That's tried and true. That might be very appropriate for AMR wideband or heavy compute codecs out of the chute versus taking up more and more software resources for codecs. So these are some more advantages that we have in Sonus and our strategy for rolling up communication service provider solutions. Okay. I want to go back to something
0: we were talking about earlier, which was that, that watermark. How do we detect when a threshold is being exceeded, uh, and, and maybe this is really about analytics, I guess, but it does seem kind of magical that's that's one of those conversations you have as you talk about container architecture and so on. Oh, and when things are too busy, we just spin up more. How
1: the heck do you know when things have been exceeded so so these are these are some of the challenges of the of the that I want to call it the northbound interface. This is a loaded term, but the interface between the the virtual network functions and the orchestrator there's some standards out there. Solometer is an example of one. That's kind of the magic of the orchestrator. The orchestrator is an interesting place right now, in that some companies are advocating open source mono orchestrators, such that you can, uh, you know, take their open source and use it. I think China Mobile and some others are are advocating that. Even AT&T, who's building eCOMP, has come out and said, "Yeah, this is what we're doing, and we're thinking about making it open source." So, the magic is really built into the orchestrator and. It requires some level of planning from the policy to understand how you want things to be, as well as what elements of a microservice, is it memory usage? Is it CPU utilization? Is it something else that's critical? And that's how the decision gets made. Now, you mentioned Sealometer. That
0: is a component in OpenStack, correct?
1: Yes, it is. It's part of the OpenStack. Um,
0: Okay, part of the OpenStack, uh, a bundle of many services that talk to one another and so on. Let me just get this in my brain. I would program Silometer. I would say, "Hey, look at these devices on something specific. You're going to monitor. Again, we don't know exactly what the right thing is necessarily, but let's say CPU utilization and memory utilization. If a watermark, if uh, some high watermark is exceeded, of those specific things that we want to monitor, I'm going to have a policy that can react to that event and take an action. Is that right? That's correct.
1: You're hitting the nail on the head. Absolutely.
0: And that action then will deal with the, the circumstance. If it's CPU utilization, that's pretty obvious. We're going to spin up a new service so we can start to spread load out. Memory utilization would really be the same thing. I suppose you know, you spin up a new instance or I guess other reactions. I mean, could you assign more memory to the virtual instance on the fly? I'm not sure what all the capabilities are, but something that's going to ameliorate that condition.
1: There's a notion of, of horizontal scaling as well as vertical scaling. And, the, and the horizontal scaling does allow one to add memory to uh, a virtual network function on the fly. But the vertical scaling is the one we're talking about today with the clustering in, 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 uh, of a microservice.
0: Okay. How rich are we with these analytics? I mean, what are our capabilities,
1: uh, really? Well, the analytics are just, I think it's just exploding. You know, it's, it's not big data, but it's kind of like that. The idea of, uh, and, and we do this at Sonus, our, our cloud strategy, which is a common in OpenStack, is to, to push data to that common data store, Cassandra-style database that many devices can write into very efficiently. And there's analytics tools that can reach down into that database and pull out the information that's necessary. So that type of analytics database in the cloud is what is very powerful. That's where it's going to allow mono devices to understand what's happening in all the devices in the network where they're generating microservices.
0: So, Brian, we've had a big conversation here. Uh, microservice architectures as related to service providers, I think a lot of that is eventually going to trickle into the enterprise as well as uh, all of us across the industry begin rethinking how we do application deployment uh, and so on. Thanks for sharing this about Sonus and how you guys are taking microservices to build larger services, which is really representative of what's happening in, in the wider industry. I mean, uh, maybe you could just at a high level you know, take us through that. Did I have all that about right?
1: Yeah, you do. You really do. Microservices are all about chaining together individual components that follow a nice DevOps style, where where focused work and functionality can be built and chained together with a great lifestyle capability of bringing in bug fixes and bringing in new features and, and deprecating old ones in, in a very in-service manner. OpenStack enables it. I, I guess I can just say it that simply: the OpenStack environment has defined components of the architecture that just naturally lead to this. And, and the flexibility because customers, you know, we talked about the truck rolls and so on and so forth. Very much a customer can build out what he needs or he or she needs when they need it. And can uh, in real time or close to real time as they choose, expand it.
2: It's all about this idea of software versus hardware, but you're still dependent. Like you still depend on the hardware. You still need CPU cycles and memory to make things run. But it's about this shift away to doing stuff in software instead of using dedicated boxes like custom CPUs, custom silicon of the days gone by, and just using x86s and DRAMs. But once you've done that, you've still got a networking problem. You've still got to flow stuff between the chains. You've still got to have VMs that scale up and down. And if you're thinking about how to do this or how this relates to the enterprise, this is exactly how you're... IP telephony solutions are going to work in the future. They're going to be either using software that Sonus puts together in the back end, the session border controllers and the carriers, or if you have IP telephony or IP collab systems, they're going to be container-based or microservices-based in the foreseeable future. So everything you've heard today is directly applicable to the enterprise.
0: So, Brian, if I'm listening to the show and I want to dig in more to how Sonus is doing this, where do I go? Right to our webpage at
1: sonus.net, S-O-N-U-S dot net, Right there is a lot of information about microservices architecture. There's PowerPoints. There's uh, a bunch of information uh, that folks can look at right there on the webpage. Wonderful.
0: Sonus.net, thank you very much. And thank you for listening to Packet Pushers today and to Sonus for being our sponsor. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog that is Real Engineers Writing About the Stuff They Do Every Day at packetpushers.net. Follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers, find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on iTunes. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.